0: Welcome to the Cup and Saucy Book Club. I'm Jen and I'm Zana What's in your cup today,
1: Zana Today I'm having a masala chai from one of my favorite places, Jolene's Tea House in Banff, Alberta, Canada. There's a slight chill in the air today, so this cardamomy chai is nice and cozy. How about you?
0: Today I am drinking a special gift from you. Ooh. It's called Readers' Tears from the Sunny Teacup <laughs> Company in Canada, and. Listeners, I want to read the ingredients of this tea to you because <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, so the ingredients are sencha green tea, rose petals, and edible glitter, to which my husband says, uh, I don't know how you can drink that stuff, but it, but it is delicious. It is really delicious, actually.
1: I wonder if it's going to do the same thing to the cups that glitter does to everything, because <laughs> glitter is the herpes it's, of the craft world. It is absolutely. It's the, forever. Glitter is forever. Glitter is forever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I wanted, to, I, I wanted to choose this tea in particular because of our guest today, and she is a USA Today bestselling author Lauren Smith, who also writes under the name Emma Castle, and she is an Oklahoma attorney by day, author by night who pens adventurous and edgy romance stories by the light of her smartphone flashlight app. She uh, knew she was destined to be a romance writer when she attempted to rewrite the entire Titanic movie just to save Jack from drowning. They both could have fit on that door.
1: They totally could have fit. Yeah, Uh,
0: Connecting with readers by writing emotionally moving, realistic and sexy romances no matter what time period is her passion. She's won multiple awards in several romance subgenres, including New England's Reader's Choice Awards, Greater Detroit Booksellers Best Awards, and a semi-finalist award for the Mary Wollenscraft Shelley Award. She was a 2018 Rita finalist in the Romance Writers of America contest. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we have to tell listeners that how uh, we came to have this interview today. Lauren wrote to us after our review of Love in the Wild, which was a that was such a fun book. That was such a yeah. it was a, such a fun book, and it was a great book to review. And she wrote to us, and and we were just so pleased and honored. And so we asked her to be on the yeah. show. And so Love in the Wild we'll just start there, is a retelling of Tarzan of the Apes uh, by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Lauren, what drew you to the story?
2: Well, I've always liked the Tarzan story. Ever since I was a little kid, you know, I was one of the kids that grew up in the 90s when they had the golden age of Disney. And Mm -hmm. Tarzan was kind of one of the last illustrated normal movies that they had done before they started transitioning to like 3D Toy Story type movies. I also was raised on classic literature. I'd seen the Tarzan movies, the adult movies when I was really little. And I just kind of always thought somewhere inside me, there was going to be a Tarzan story. And a few years ago, I'm going to blank on her name, but there's a book called just Jane and it's a fabulous book. And it was uh, endorsed by Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. And this woman basically wrote the story of Tarzan from Jane's perspective, which we never had before. Yeah. It was really, really well done. It had a little bit of heat in some places, Mm -hmm. but I I read it and I thought, I still want more. I still want something more. And then with my flair for drama and fantasy, I'm like, let's add in some other crazy stuff because why not? Mm -hmm. Because I always tend to be drawn to myths and legends and in my childhood brain, everything's always connected. And I could talk a little bit about that later with the Albion references to King Arthur and, and stuff like that. I just kind of love building on myths. And when 2020 hit, I had funnily enough written a pandemic romance in 2019. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that because I've got some questions for you. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to talk about that because that's a crazy story. And I was really emotionally traumatized because in my head, I'd played art, I'd already played out the death of humanity on the page.
0: So oh. watching
2: my own story unfold was one of the most traumatic things I'd ever gone through. And by August of 2020, I was like, I'm. Yeah. Earlier that year, I was like, I'm not going to survive. I need to write something that is so, as my mom said, out there, wackadoo, kind of different. I thought, now is the time for the Tarzan cover. And, and I had this book cover that I'd seen from my one of my designer friends. She'd made a pre-made book cover. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Tarzan. And she, I said, I bought it. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. And she said, that's what I was watching when I designed it. So we were already on the same wavelength when she had designed this cover in advance. And then I was the lucky person that bought it. And so uh-huh. I just was like, this is what we're doing. And I wrote that story because it was such a story of per- of perseverance, of hope, of things in nature going right versus mm-hmm. how COVID seems to be like a thing in nature going wrong. And I right. just felt like I needed that flip of a reality perspective. So it basically
0: was kind of like my COVID survival book. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That just made me love this book even more. And I already, right? uh, this, this was one that. As I as I said in our review episode, this was one that sat with me for a long time, and I consume books so voraciously that it's really got to be special for me to to you know to just think on it, let alone revisit. And this was just this was the this was one of those books. So now knowing how it came to be makes it uh, mm-hmm. even more special.
1: For sure, yeah.
0: A book that you were talking about earlier is Jane, The Woman Who Loved Tarzan by Robin Maxwell.
2: (laughs) I knew it was Maxwell something, but I didn't want to misspeak and be like the wrong Maxwell, but I knew it was
0: Maxwell. (laughs) The book that you had written in, that was published in 2019, A Wilderness Within, uh, this is under Emma Castle, and it's about uh, two survivors of a contagion that wipes out nine-tenths of humanity. And that, I, I haven't yet read this one, but that intrigued me, but I'm also like reluctant to read it because I have not been able to read anything about pandemics since the pandemic. So, I mean, obviously there was, there was the, the, the reaction to it after, after you published it and afterwards, but what, what brought you to, uh, to writing it in the first place?
2: So it sounds kind of like woo woo, but I I sometimes feel like the universe plants ideas in a cloud above authors' heads, and at the right moment we catch that lightning and channel it if we are mm-hmm. listening. And that's why I I do my best to I, I'm kind of all over the place with what I write because I try to listen to when that lightning is calling, and that way I can catch it in a bottle and use it. Because when you just write the same thing over and over again. Their stories don't have magic, they don't have meaning, they don't have a message, and art at the end of the day is a way to view reality with a different perspective and to understand things from different points of views and to learn things about ourselves and about each other. And so whenever a story is really speaking to me, I listen. And I just remembered being on a walk. It was probably November of 2018, and I had just gotten back From a conference and a lot of people had been sick at this conference. We later Mm -hmm. found out that COVID had started coming through already that year in California in bits and pieces in 2018. They did some like tracing on that. Mm -hmm. And some people had been just like heavily ill at this conference that I was at. I managed to not get sick and everything, but it just kind of started making me think about stuff. And I'd always loved Contagion, Outbreak. I would always kind of loved those virus movies. They are terrifying because they're so real. And I was just walking one morning and I had this thought like, you know, nobody's ever written like a pandemic or a Contagion romance. That would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? And so I started buying some CDC virology books, epidemiology books. Mm-hmm. I read everything about the cholera epidemic in the, in New York in the, the 1800s and just tried to kind of get a sense of what we were facing. I learned about the Ebola thing. I had a, um, when I was working as a lawyer, I had one of those fellow attorneys that had been stuck on the Ebola boat where the nurse had treated the patient and then oh, she went on the cruise. It turned out she was totally fine, but everybody freaked out and locked her in a room sure. and they, they kept the boat out to sea like 10 extra days or whatever. And so- Yeah. This attorney had been on that cruise and was like, she always shuts her phone off during the cruise. So we couldn't get a hold of her and everybody in the office was freaking out. And then when she came back, nobody wanted to be around her for like two weeks. It was very interesting to watch the reaction. So kind of all that had been in my past mind. And now I was thinking about this book. And I got onto the CDC Twitter feed in about January of 2019. And I started just, I followed and put like, watch every you know, account alert from this account. And so every time they tweeted, I would just read the tweet. And I started noticing a really interesting pattern about things that they were talking about going on in China, wet markets, some interesting SARS-like viruses kind of, but that weren't SARS that were kind of popping up. And I was like, "Hmm, that's kind of interesting, you know, and I I started reading these books and kind of putting pieces together. And you realize this tends to happen about every hundred years, we tend to have a Mm -hmm. pandemic that wipes through our population literally going back since like the plague years every hundred years we've had statistically something come through and it's usually something transmitted in a you know a pneumonia or you know breathable type virus and so I thought I'm just gonna write this book and so the creepy thing was I started writing it in February of 2019 I published it in June but I decided to set it in the future because I don't know why. So I set everything where the virus started showing up in November of 2019. And by March of 2020, everyone in the book was dead.
1: <laughs> like pretty
2: much everyone on the planet. Wow. And oh, man. I got so much hate mail after the book came out. Oh no. I had to go in and add a pro, like a author's note, like saying, please don't one star this. I didn't copy COVID. Please look at the publication date and stop DNFing and, and yeah. you know, black nothing me and everything. But before COVID happened, this book actually had a, a movie deal pending. We were getting ready to ink the deal a week before lockdown happened. Oh my So it God. the movie deal, I was wow. like, COVID, you know, I mean, it was like, really exciting. We were going to be like the next level, you know? Yeah. And everybody was just so like, this is such such an amazing book. It's such a, you know, incredible thing. It's so well researched, because everything in there, right down to the science of how to make the the vaccines. So when all this real COVID stuff started happening and people were like, I don't trust the vaccines. I don't trust the vaccines. I'm like, well, I've actually read the books and I know how this works. So you're not actually putting a virus in your body. So calm the hell down. Like, you know, I had to explain to a lot of people who are very ignorant about science. I'm like, let me explain to you that all they're doing is putting instructions in your cells. It's like, they're Mm -hmm. giving your cell a little how to plan of to defend itself, like a home alone plan for Kevin McAllister. Like that's what they do. So it, it was really interesting because This book is, I mean, I'm really proud of it. It's really incredible. It's it's really only about like two characters in the whole book that you hardly Uh ever see anybody else until the very end, and it's and everyone thinks you know that the soldier is going to be the hero that saves everything. Well, he's just the heroine's backup. Like that's one of the funnest things about this book is that. She's the one that ends up like and saving. And then we have
0: her. a kick-ass heroine too. Wow. <laughs> I love a
1: kick-ass heroine. Yep. I gotta and say. And she's
0: nothing special. Like, that's what I think of. I always think of that quote,
2: like, you know, people, that's ordinary people in extraordinary times. So yes. she's just like this girl that just did like online advertising, marketing ads and stuff. And she just happens to be one of these people that figures out how to inspire and rally everybody to come together.
1: Toward she the end has of that plug. tremendous inner strength. Yeah, yeah.
2: and she does this cool thing where she gets a satellite radio and every night while she's traveling to these different cities with this super soldier guy, she's just like, you know, she gets on these channels and she's like, I'm Caroline Kennedy, I'm going to talk to you guys about why we need to stick together, why we can't turn on each other, why this matters, why we've got to get the lights back on. And she just gives these speeches every night and it builds like this mythic persona by the time she reaches Atlanta and the CDC and she has like literally brought an army unknowingly to the camps to help and it was just... It was really cool because I wanted to write something like that. And so then when the pandemic happened, I'm like, "Where is my Caroline Kennedy? Where is she?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: yeah <laughs> right. And then uh, and then seeing shows that are, you know, or shows or books or things that have happened after or since the pandemic, like The Last of Us. I mean, that that had to Did you First of all, did you see The Last of Us?
2: I have been hesitant. I think it's weird because I've written the book and then watched it happen in real life. I feel like you, there's like this hesitation. Yeah. It,
0: yeah or, I, I know that. it's well,
2: incredible, but, but I'm like, I'm not ready.
1: The last of us though, is based on a video game yes, that was produced very, yeah. before right, that. And right. um, so th- I, I've watched most of the first season and it's very good, but it is also creepy and, and, and having gone through pandemic a little bit,
0: Yeah, frightening yeah
1: i mean because of that aspect of it and and in this case in the the last of us it's something that apparently is quite plausible which is a um, a fungus-based infection that takes over people's brains and you know that apparently according to some uh, fungal experts is not completely outside of the realm of possibility which i'm like oh
0: Yeah, which is, yeah. (laughs) Just, just, I don't need to know that. (laughs) Yeah, it's just enough to make you not sleep at night. But, (laughs) and, and,
2: like zombies and pandemics rolled into uh, one. Right. Right.
1: I mean, and it's like viruses, we've got tools now to fight viruses. Um, that, and much of it thanks to COVID, you know, so, so a lot of the tools that we have to fight viruses are well developed, but to fight fungal infections, not so much.
0: But yes, yeah, seeing all of that, it is going to, it's, it colors, it, it colors all future, you know, all future creations, artistic creations, because you have yeah. to take it through that filter, you know, you have to take it, but this is, but that's the same as the previous generations having to take it through the filter of post 9-11 world of, you know, after yeah, JFK's true. assassination. You know, all all of uh, all of these world shaking events shifts everyone's perspective. And right. and so and then the art just reflects it. But it uh yeah. Yeah, I like I,
1: watching any type type of T V show or movie that where people are wearing masks and it's considered a weird thing and I'm just sort of like, you hey, look normal. Yeah. <laughs> that just it's like I, Those are the people I want to be closer to is the people wearing the masks because Um, they're not they're not threatening to me they're 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 being safe.
0: (laughs) Yeah well it's a it's a funny thing because I saw a a zoom performance uh, during 2020 of all of the living cast uh, still living cast of the Princess Bride and Uh they and so when Carrie Elwes got to the Got to the line. Oh, masks are very comfortable. I'm I'm sure everybody will be wearing them in the future. He paused. He paused, and he just said, "I'm just going to let that sink in," and then he went right back to what he was doing. (laughs) And but that, uh, but that's the power of why. uh, What uh, what attracted me to. To love in the wild and to wanting to read your other stories was just like, okay. Well, first of all, the research that you do on on your books is is amazing. It is
1: quite impressive.
0: I, I mean, because there's it, so there was other research besides the the source material of Edgar Rice Burroughs for for love in the wild that you did, which
1: is good because to be honest, Burroughs' research is lacking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you know, the thing is, he didn't research back in the time period. No. You know, he was just writing popular fiction. And I think what's, what's sad and is important to remember is that everybody loves to go and just bag on old literature and be like, oh, it was so bad. It was so terrible. There was so racist. Well, yeah, that was the time period. And I'm never that saying was the time. That we should write that way. But I really hate when people are like, we should never read it. We should get rid of it. We shouldn't study it. And I'm like, you have to study. Both. I mean, like. I mean when i read stuff like that now my brain just goes it has like a little like light that dings on that goes ah racial filter ignore that thing and i just i i see that it's there but i don't like go oh now i'm going to believe that i'm like rice Burroughs and i'm gonna think all
1: people are you know
2: uncivilized you know i don't ever let like even when as a child it didn't color my perceptions because if we live in a modern era and we read things from the past, like knowing that they're from the past. It, little children are pretty smart. They actually don't mm-hmm, let mm-hmm. it color their thinking. They're aware that this was a book written 200 years ago, you know, whatever. And so they don't think about stuff. And I think it's sad when we start restricting libraries and other things like that. I agree. The Agreed. ability to not be exposed to stuff. But, but again, like what you talked about, you know, we don't want to write like that now. So I'm like, no. what can we do? And that was why it was really fun to revive a myth and a story that was so powerful and and reach to you as a person you know everybody kind of just is drawn to that story of a child raised by nature you know it's not that he was Mm uncivilized; it was a it was a human who had gone back to the primordial state of connecting to nature and had been protected by it raised by it, and loved by it which is what we want to feel nature is with us like think about how you feel when you see a monarch now you know how Mm -hmm. I get super excited when I see a butterfly and people are like why and I'm like because you know my grandchildren might not see butterflies and right powerful wonderful thing and I get moved to tears by the very simplest of things because I feel so connected to nature and I thought that's what this book is going to be is my love letter to a human's connection because we're animals too and I had I had some of these kind of younger Gen Z girls that they read they like love monster books and I don't know why they thought this was a monster book but bless their hearts okay. like, this girl she yeah. <laughs> did that I gave animals a voice she was like we are not animals I didn't like having to to read the sections from the mom's perspective like the gorilla mom and I just was kind of I, I was so taken aback by that that I didn't really know what to say because they right you know, they were like wanting me to like be really excited about their review. And I'm like, well, one of you just spent like two hours trashing it about how dare I give animals a voice. I'm like, we've taken voices from animals. And she's like, well, yeah, we're not empathize we animals. I'm like, I'm not empathizing animals. I'm like, they have feelings, they feel pain, they feel love, they feel affection. If you've ever watched that Blackfish documentary, One of those whalers talks about when they took the baby orcas, how those mother Mm -hmm. orcas followed them for like 50 miles out open sea, screaming for their children. I mean, he said he literally has tried to kill himself twice because he wakes up in the night with nightmares over what he's done by a curing, you know, getting those baby killer whales for sea world. And, you know, I'm just thinking we, we don't have to assume that they think like us, but we do have to acknowledge that they're sentient creatures that feel and have connections and emotions that may not match our range, but they have a range that can be deep in other ways. Yeah. Um. You know, they've done research with, with dolphins and orca packs and stuff about how emotional those creatures are. And I just feel it was really important to write a book that touched on that and tried to teach these younger readers because these Gen Z kids, they just they think Colleen Hoover is the end all be all of of human emotion. And I'm like, there's so much more to learn and nothing against Hoover books, but there's just more to life than what's in those particular books. And I just want some of these people to think outside the box a little bit. Well,
1: this is a subject that that comes up a lot in my house because my son has a rant that pretty much anything will kick off uh, about about animal intelligence, that basically we, what we understand about animal intelligence falls into a Venn diagram of our own understanding of our own intelligence. And to assume that we know anything about, you know, anything that falls outside of that Venn diagram is completely self-absorbed and, and racist. I mean, really it's, it's, it's the ultimate sort of racism because you're just like, you don't know, what goes on in an elephant's mind? You don't know what goes on in the in the mind of the ant colony, you know. These are societies that you know just surface amounts about, and to assume that you know more than that is arrogant and ignorant.
0: Yeah, and so. and there's and then there's I'm thinking of uh, the documentary that came out in 2020, My Octopus Teacher. Um, mm-hmm. oh, my God. oh, I love that! Yeah, I love was that. In tears, the whole that thing. yes. I mean, the emotions that came. Yeah. Our, my
1: son from, made us watch that. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, the, "You have
0: to watch this." Yeah, okay. and well, I had I had made myself watch everything that was nominated for an Oscar that year because I would never get another opportunity to go into the theaters and see all of these mm-hmm. all of these films that are nominated. So. So, but I went and, uh, but I saw the octopus teacher and it just, it was so powerful, the relationship between, you know, and, and the emotion that, that you could just feel off the octopus herself Mm -hmm. when she had, you know, gotten angry or when she was scared or when she had just, you know, given up, you know, the, towards the, the end of her lifespan and just, You could just feel her saying, okay, this is it, goodbye, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, and, you know, no, no real dialogue or anything just, but it all just came out and that it spoke to, if we listen to the animals, the, the world around us, that the, the other creatures that we share this planet with have a lot to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Diane Fossey had also said something similar to this, and you had researched Diane Fossey for Love in the Wild. What did you take from what you read from her for this book? I think the biggest thing is that
2: we have gotten to a point in society where we think we exist above and beyond nature. And, you know, Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey, they are beautiful reminders that Yeah, we might be the theoretically most evolved species on the planet, but define evolved however you want. But at the end of the day, we're still a part of the system. And when we try to fit back into the system with that in mind, it's amazing. You know, gorillas will let you stay there if you're, you know, not being a typical human. I mean, if you fit into their system, you're welcome. You're safe. You obey the rules. You fit into that society, you can fit back into nature. And I and I think that's the thing is that we're not teaching people by not getting our kids outside by not taking them on hikes by not letting them see nature and appreciating it. They don't want to go back to it. And I'm not saying we all need to go live in, you know, huts or whatever. But, you know, we need to understand that like, Plastic is filling up the ocean. We need to understand that we're killing the coral reefs. And when the coral reefs die, the temperatures in the ocean rise. And then we have boiling water in Florida. I mean, it's happening. And Mm -hmm. I'm not like a tree hugger crazy person, but at the same time, I really have become more and more protective of nature as I've got older. I've tried to have more trees planted in my yard, but understanding which trees to plant because another book that's not romance, but The Hidden Life of Trees. Oh, yes. That book is unbelievable and I just feel like I have such a deeper appreciation for growing life I I liked it before but now whenever I see a tree even when I know I'm really badly allergic to like elms I'm always like from a distance I love you elm I can't touch you because I will break out in hives but I love you (laughs) like I feel like I want to talk to the tree it feels kind of crazy but I just feel this deeper connection. So when I walk with my dog, I try not to listen to music anymore. I just listen to the sounds like there's trees that pine loblolly pines. When you hear wind go through it, it sounds like ocean waves. And I never mm-hmm. noticed that before till I started read that book about trees. And then I started thinking so much more about trees. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to, to take your, take your kid out and say, what nature sounds do you hear that aren't wind in the trees? What do you actually hear? What does it sound like to you? And get them to think about nature because nature is beautiful and nature is
1: mm-hmm.
2: our world. And I I think Diane Fossey and and Jane Goodall and and all those people that have followed in their footsteps are just trying to remind us that it feels good to try to fit back in there and, yeah. and be a part of that.
0: So Love in the Wild as far as the the darkness doesn't really go to that category. I mean, there's you know there is there are definitely people in there that are evil characters. Uh, the 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 villain in this piece is is just awful. vile, vile, absolutely <laughs> uh, terrible. But you have done other ones where the uh, the characters, especially the male main characters, are darker right down to the very darkest one, uh, which is Midnight with the Devil, which is the one in my TBL, uh, TBR list. And this is a love story for Lucifer. And while we, uh, you know, uh, while Zana and I say that everyone deserves a love story, except for the genocidal maniacs, <laughs> I have to kind of go, yeah, but Lucifer deserves one too. <laughs> You have this love story for Lucifer and I am I am not saying that it is because I haven't read it so I don't know if it's in any way based on anything but are you a fan of the show Lucifer is that how you found it or or you just decided hmm so everybody asked me, they're like, some people are like, oh, I love it. It's like
2: kind of like the TV show Lucifer. And some people are like, oh, you just copied it. Well, I'd actually had the idea several years before they created the show. I just hadn't created my pen name yet. So I would actually already sort of developed this. And I thought, oh, they did the Snarky Devil. Great. That's what I'm writing. But at the same time, it's not a cop procedural. So there's some so all you yeah. really have is just sort of a, of a sexy guy that is snarky, which I feel like that's kind of the devil anyway. Like if you were going to, you know, meet him in a romantic setting, he'd be kind of a snarky jackass.
0: A handsome snarky jackass because yeah, he, has, handsome, to be, he jackass. has to be attractive. Yeah. Handsome devil.
2: Handsome, handsome devil. devil. I think yep. that's where the phrase, yeah, the phrase probably comes directly from that. I think what I loved most about that book is most people who read it, it's never what you expect. You'll go in thinking it's going to be this one way And it will change your mind. And you'll either be like, this is one of the best books I've ever read. Or you're going to be like, I hated it. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. And you'll have 10 things about why you hate it. So it, it will be, it will either speak to you or it won't. And I will say there's funny moments. There's heartbreaking moments. But I ask, it's more of a philosophical question rather than so much of a religious question. I just say that if you believe that love is the most powerful thing in the universe and it can save anybody, can't it save the devil the devil
0: and question. and then talks
2: about aren't we entitled to forgiveness because people forget that lucifer was god's favorite it was an angel yeah. were created yeah. he was he was the morning the star angel his most favored his favored son mm-hmm. and i just thought wouldn't theoretically if if someone was your favorite thinking of the prodigal son story and i'm and again i'm I'm catholic so i'm not trying to drive a religious argument sure. i'm not <laughs> quoting scripture in there i actually quote paradise lost by milton in every chapter which is yeah super, because it, each quote actually corresponds directly with kind of the theme of the chapter but i've, um, I've read
1: that i haven't really watched this <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but i thought it was a really interesting challenge to use sort of a a story that goes from dark to light which is the actual arc of any redemption story it's an actual story going toward actual light from actual dark both metaphorically and quite literally physically and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to challenge people. And it's funny because some of my next Emma Castle books are going to be a lot more lighthearted, just kind of sexy, dark, fun stuff. And everyone will be like, man, where's your deep emotional thriller, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, well, sometimes I just want to write fun stuff, too. But I kind of like getting this pen name going. I didn't I thought I was going to be dark and edgy and really scary. And I still have some of those stories kind of rumbling around in my head. but midnight with the devil surprised me as my first book I wrote it and it started out so dark and scary and then it ended up being just this I mean I remember when I finished I was babysitting someone's dog and I was in their house and and I was alone and it was like two o'clock in the afternoon and I just put my pen down because I handwrite everything and I just burst into tears and I cried for maybe 20 minutes because the ending was just not what I expected I don't plan most of my stories out hardly ever I never know where I'm going and like the ending for Tarzan you know I didn't know what the daughter's name was going to be called that just happened in the moment and I was like oh my Mm -hmm. god you know like you know just kind of things like that strike you so Midnight with the Devil and its ending it's has some bittersweet elements there but it's still a happy ending but I I wanted to feel like that's the price you pay sometimes for a second chance is things happen and and I just wanted to explore that with readers and so I've I've been pleased. It's been mostly mostly well received. I only had one lady email me telling me I was Satan's child and going to hell.
1: Okay, well, Just well, yeah, so which is which good. is one bad one is really it's I mean. not bad. Yeah, anytime you put the devil in the title, you know, yeah. then you're gonna you're, probably you're gonna get at least regardless one. of what it's about, you're gonna have somebody saying
0: you're gonna have get behind you're
1: you're me doing. Satan. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> And one of the reasons that um, I was so glad that you wrote to us and and wanted to be on the show was knowing that you did have these dark books, you know. I wanted you to help me explain to Zanna the appeal of the morally gray male main Ah. character. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) Maybe, kind of, maybe, sort of, we have done that a little bit. No, you have, and and I understand it,
1: but it's uh...
2: there's a really basic there's a really basic explanation, and I've I've, again I've watched a lot of psychology shows and all sorts of fun stuff. So you know, in reality, women have to do a lot. Let's just be honest there there are a lot of great men out there, but even the great men play the card of I don't know how to load the dishwasher. I got to go do something else. I can't mow the lawn. I got women find themselves doing everything, and one of the easiest ways in the world to die as a woman is to be murdered or attacked by somebody out to get you. We're in a constant state of peril, even in our own homes. Like I think about that all the time where I'm like, I'm minding my own business. My doors are locked, but some crazy person could just kick in my door and shoot me for zero reason. And it and it's because I'm just statistically female and I'm here and it wouldn't have to be anything specific to race or social where I live, it's just statistically, you're a woman, your odds go way up for prey. I think what happens is, is women in the real world, we have to constantly be on guard, protect ourselves. We sometimes, we can't even trust our husbands, our boyfriends, because you find out you're dating a narcissistic sociopath and then you're in real trouble. And so what happens is, is when we read these books and and the heroes that I talk about, when I talk about the appeal of the morally gray hero, I'm not talking about heroes that will ever hurt the heroine. I'm not talking about a fun spanking. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about they're not going to strangle them. And I'm not... And if they're like holding the neck in the middle of passion, but they're not squeezing... Different. I'm okay with neck holding. I just don't want squeezing. There's a difference
1: told- between, you know, that kind of, of, right. of sex now, play and. character is
2: into this. true crime. Fine, yeah. but, you know, yeah. but if he's like doing it because. We're not here to kink hold, shame,
1: right? Yeah, no, no but kink shaming. Consent read all is sexy. Of-
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah it if the consent girl's is into sexy. It, that's all that matters if the girl's into it. But if he's using it as a control move that she's afraid and, and there's different things, he should never scare her. And I mean that in a physical or emotional way. He and we're not talking about the beauty and the beast moment where he roars a little because he's kind of angry, because his paws hurt, like, and she's not at all afraid of him. She's like, get your anger under control. Like, that's different. But if he's like roaring in her face and she's a af- and the heroine's afraid, or she's physically hurt, like, those are no-go's for me. The appeal of the morally gray hero for me is the kind of hero who he is so in love with the heroine that he will try to be good for her and he will do anything for her he will protect her at all costs because it's the protection and the safety and the knowing that we would break this guy out of their bad boy mold a little bit like it's not quite we're the savior of them but it's just that they it's the love that they feel for you auto corrects their 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 evil morally grayness a little bit and i'm not talking about sociopath serial killer ted bundy's here like right those guys i'm talking about like you know the people do well people do those women are a different category we we don't understand those women either bless them they they need serious help bless their heart yeah but like the lucifer guy that's like i will burn down the world to protect you yes Our gut reaction because of what we go through as real women in the universe in our fantasy literature we're like okay that's that's appealing to me. Like for example, I'm I'm okay talking about my relatives' kinks. I like primal playbooks where the heroine is chased and it's consensual, non-consent. I actually like reading those books. Some do try to do that in me real life, he loses nuts. But mm-hmm. for me, I feel safe knowing that there's a guy out there stronger and faster than me who wants me, but he's gonna also really listen if I really do say no. And so it's the excitement of being chased and caught by an equal or powerful, more powerful male, because I'm a really strong buff girl. And I don't know how many times really wimpy guys physically have wanted to date me. And I'm like, if we got mugged, I can protect myself decently, but I can't also protect you. I'm like, I need someone of equal or more protective value. And I'm not saying I need a big Hulk, but I need a guy that I feel has some relative equality, both physically and emotionally and mentally with me. And so when I read these morally gray heroes, I'm like, okay, that's a guy that would have my back under any circumstances. And in this day and age, emotionally, just from a fantasy perspective, reading, I mm-hmm. kind of like that. Now, again, would I ever touch that guy in real life? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Well, and, only why I'm so and this is, and this
0: has been, this has kind of been my point to to Zana about this is that mostly a mostly male audience is attracted to the the james bond archetype and the you know and the the fantasy and the the guy who comes storming in solo and you know takes down an entire army or a government or something like that that doesn't exist in real life but it's a great fantasy for them sure same for the same for the mostly uh, female audience of romance is the guys who would not be tolerated in real life but the mavericks the mavericks yeah it's the Mm -hmm. fantasy of it that that sells the books you know I
1: I do get that and I do get that but it's I I realized at some point that well a long time ago that I'm a self rescuing princess and so I just it when somebody wants to burn down the world to protect me I'm the one saying put down the damn match (laughs)
2: Well, and, and I'm that way too. So when I write my yeah. stories, I have the hero that's like, I'm going to go burn down the world. And the heroine's like, get back here. You're not doing that. I'm actually saving it. Yeah. So nine times out of 10 in most of my books, the hero will do something pretty heroic, but the heroine's usually the one that like took the bullet or like did the thing that stopped the big and thing. And that I like. The one that saves everybody.
1: <laughs> I do like, I do like having in, like that equality of strength, at least, you know, emotionally and mentally, um, yeah. even if it's not physically the same level of strength but i mean i like the physical strength being the same too <laughs> but yeah yeah but I-, I i do i do understand the the morally gray thing i just <laughs> it, to me it's a lot of, it's a lot of well i didn't know you didn't want me to burn down the world like, <laughs> why would i want you to do that <laughs>
2: Well, and, that, and that's communication too. Like, there's a lot of stories where they, yeah, there's don't write good communication. I always have my hero and heroine have hard discussions, and so I don't have what's called like the emotional, usually the emotional fail where they have the fight toward the end of the book and they break up. Like, I, I hate unless that. it organically works. I don't write that in. And a lot of my editors, when I used to write traditionally published books, they would be like, well, you have to have the third scene, emotional break. I'm you like, yeah, no. the third act. Breakup, like, Sometimes yeah. they can just get kidnapped and that's the problem. <laughs>
1: no, they're just right. And you can have, break. you can have conflict that is external and make exactly. it just as exciting and interesting as having internal exactly. conflict.
0: <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think, I, I think that i the tables may have turned on me here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have, we have now completely rewritten this show in its format. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about what you're, what, what you have coming up. You had said that you were looking to write lighter stories, less dark. What do you have coming up? New releases that you want to talk about?
2: Well, so I always feel really bad when I'm like, I got this book idea that I'm going to write. And then like, people are like, when it's coming out? I'm like, probably two years. <laughs> but um, I sort of, I overcommitted myself on the Lauren name and I got caught up in a lot of box sets. And so I'm finishing obligations to those sets. And then I can get back to Emma because it's been, I can't even believe it's been since Tarzan, really, since I launched my last mm-hmm. book. And that's been forever. And so I think the next one that's coming up I've got it in a box I actually signed up for a box that I wanted to do this time to make sure I would do an Emma story it's going to be called the gargoyles play thing so it's going to be a dark story but not like a deep story so I guess that's what I meant by light like it's emotionally light yes yes <laughs> but the content will be will be dark you know kind of like not totally dub
0: con but questionable con <laughs> don't know if that's different but are you planning on uh, attending any book events book signings at all i'll be
2: in flirty in the Kansas flirty in kansas city 2024 in february i think okay. uh, april i will be at the hard rock in tulsa my hometown the hard rock hotel and then i think it's either in the summer or the fall i'm not sure i'm going to be at get witchy in salem not this year, but next year. Okay. Um, and those are, and I may be at Kansas city genre con in August
0: if they ask me to come back. So just kind of what I've got at the moment. So you've got, yeah. you've got places that you're going to be, and we will put, we will put links to all of those as well as everything that links to everything that we've discussed today and links to your pages as well. Lauren on the show notes for this program and I want to thank you so much for yes, being on the, you. on the show today. And it's thank been you for so much fun. This, and <laughs> yeah, no, we wonderful. we
1: have decided and figured out <laughs> that you are definitely our people. So <laughs> <laughs> yay!
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Lauren, for being on the show. And you can find her as both Lauren Smith and Emma Castle. And all the places that you can find her online will be in the show notes on our website cupandsaucybooks.com.
1: You can also follow us on social media at Cup and Saucy Books. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite pod platform and leave us a review.
0: And thank you for joining us for the Cup and Saucy Book Club. Join us next time when we talk with someone new from the world of books.
1: And probably go on a few tangents.
0: Happy reading.
1: Cheers!